Hey, this is Ashlyn, former co-host of the Top 10 Recovery Podcast, The Betrayed, The Addicted, and The Expert. I have had my challenges, but I am also living proof that joy is possible, even when life does not go as planned. I'm excited to share with you real examples of living a life full of adventure, true healing, and freedom, no matter how messy life gets each episode, I will introduce you to someone I love and respect to talk about ways to be the buffalo and to face your storms in different areas of life. All right. Hi. Hi. We are here today to talk about life. Well, living a beautiful life after betrayal and divorce with my friend, Chelsea. And let me tell you who Chelsea is. So you can go and follow her on social media. Uh, she is, uh, well, she was married when she was 18 years old. So similar to me, uh, had a son at age 21 and then got divorced at 22 after discovering her ex-husband's long-term affair. She's now remarried with four more children, five total and, um, navigating co-parenting step-parent child, half sibling relationships and that entire arena, um, and being interracial family. And all that that entails, um, she's cute. She says, I don't know everything, but I do know that there can be a beautiful life after divorce. And that's exactly why I invited Chelsea to come on the podcast today, because I do feel like I have a lot of my community that is in the beginnings of either betrayal or divorce or the middle and it's messy and they need that hope. They need to see Chelsea, who is how long have you guys been married? eight years. Yeah. So we've been dating for nine next month. So like that's when we started dating. And I mean, I guess we've been dating ever since, but we've been married for a little over eight years. So I love it. Okay. So can you just tell us a little bit of your story? Um, you got married young. like I did. I did. I, I, so I met my ex-husband when we were like 15. He was my cousin's best friend and we kind of grew up together. We dated all through high school and I got married. I mean, I graduated from high school in May of 2008 and I got married in July of 2008. So, um, we got married and honestly, everything was fine. Sometimes people ask me if I regret getting married that young and I don't like, I, would I want my kids to do it? No, but do I regret (laughs) it? No, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't regret it. We were happy. And I think that sometimes when you get divorced, it's easy to look back and see that like only the bad, the bad Mm -hmm. stuff, but we were happy. Like, and, um, we, we did a lot of young kid things. And so, Um, we got pregnant and had our son. He was born in 2011. He actually turns 11 tomorrow. And, um, then I, things just kind of got weird. I, I could feel that there was a problem, but I didn't really know what it was. And it was just this awkward feeling of like, something is wrong, but I don't know what is wrong. Were you asking questions? Yeah. So I asked a lot of questions along the lines of like, are you okay? Like Mm -hmm. things just seem different. You know, is there something that I can do differently or help with? He always just kind of said he was stressed or overwhelmed. And, um, so I tried to do more, Mm -hmm. you know, I like, I tried to, I got up and made it like lunch for work. We both worked at the same company. So, and so I would like get up and make both of us lunch. And then I would make sure that I made dinner and I would get up all night with the baby. And I, so I like tried to take on the, you were over functioning. Like uh, we yes, all do. Yes. I, <laughs> something's I, wrong. Like, I'll just take care of everything. I'll fix everything. <laughs> I could do it. And so I was literally burning myself out, just trying to take on all of this responsibility because I thought, okay, well, if maybe that's really the issue, like he's just overwhelmed, then maybe I can take some of that, but it wasn't really fixing anything. And so as time went on, I just kept asking the same question. Like, are you sure you're okay? Are we okay? Mm -hmm. Um, and he would say like, you know, at one point I said, are you happy? And he said, no. And I said, are you happy with us? And he said, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but I like, again, I just kept trying like, and then I kind of started personalizing what was happening. And I was saying like, okay, maybe I need to lose weight. Maybe he's Mm -hmm. not attracted to me. Those types of things. The naughty um, feeling. Yes. Must like our me. sex life was going downhill. It was like just the, his like drive to like be with me in general was kind of gone. He was going out often with his friends. He was, um, just things that were very out of character for him. Um, and cause I mean, you should go out with your friends, but just, or like text your friends, but mm-hmm. it just became very out of character. Like he was always gone. He was always on the phone. Um, and so one day, like 
I was paying my phone bill and it was like 250 pages. Uh, like I just noticed online. And so I started to look at it and it was the same number in and out phone calls, text messages, all hours of the day, all hours of the night. Um, so I called it and it was actually a girl that worked with us. So we worked at the same company, but different locations and they worked at the same location. And so I knew who she was. Um, so I asked him about it and he said like, Oh, we're just friends. And I like, I'm sorry. I didn't want you to think it was more than that. I just, I didn't want to scare you. Um, like we're just friends and et cetera, which I think in my soul, I knew was not the case, but like when you're going through it, you really want to believe yeah. anything that they tell you, you. love because the alternative <laughs> is so hard. Yeah. And so I like tell people all the time that, you know, I had experiences where like, I knew the truth, but mm-hmm. I didn't want to see it. And oh, so for sure. he could have said like, you know, like, Oh, well, so for example, I was like counting condoms at our house when we had separated. So whenever I would go home, I was living at my mom's when we separated. Um, well, I guess rewind. We, I tried to work it out and, um, I would set therapy appointments and he just wouldn't come. And, um, I like tried to do all the things again. I kind of went into overdrive where I was like, okay, well I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to get in really good shape and I'm going to do this and I'm going to try to fix it. And I'm going to like, I, we went on like a rekindling vacation to which he left in the middle of the night to go see her. (laughs) So it's like, it just, nothing was really working. And I was, felt like I was grasping to like, try to make something work, but it just wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, so I eventually moved out to my mom's and cause he wanted to separate and he didn't have family here. So I moved into my mom's house and, um, I think that probably one of the lower points for me is. I mean, I knew something was happening, um, but he told me he was going to take a test at the testing center. And then I found out that the testing center wasn't open on Sunday. I didn't go to college. I didn't know. (laughs) And, um, so I drove back to my house and it was, he wasn't there. And so I tried to call and he answered by mistake. And then I heard everything that Mm -hmm. I like, it was like a confirmation of everything that I knew was the truth, Mm -hmm. but like it, that's just, it was an accident and he didn't know that I was there, but I just kind of was like frozen there, just like listening and understanding like, okay, everything that I've been trying to ignore is like, this is real. Um, but like when you're in it, and so what I was saying is like, when I was living at my mom's and I'd go home to get other clothes or whatever, I would count condoms and it was going down and I knew it, but he literally, he would kind of put it back on me and say like, you're crazy you know? And, but he could have been like, Chelsea, I'm standing there. They just like started evaporating. And I would have been like, Oh, you're right. (laughs) Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Why do we (laughs) do this? (laughs) Yes. Because it's less painful, you know, and you're, you're protecting yourself from what is really happening, even though, you know, um, and you're already in pain. Yes. You're already protecting ourselves from pain, but we're in pain. And it's because literally what you're going through feels so impossible anyways. Like it feels like you're barely breathing. And then these things happen because oftentimes too, you're finding it over and over and over again. They're not coming to you and saying like, Oh, by the way, like it's literally, you're just finding manifestations of what is happening over and over and over. And you're trying to ignore it and you're trying to move forward. But like, it's so much easier to be like, okay, I believe you. I I believe you, Mm -hmm. you know, and move on. And, um, so I, my parents came and picked me up after that. And they checked me into a psych ward at the university of Utah. And I stayed there for a few days. And, um, I think it was like a complete loss of self. Like I didn't, I didn't know who I was. Um, the social worker was like, well, what do you like doing? And I was like, I, I don't know. Like I watch him play soccer and she was like, no, what do you like doing? And I was like, I don't, I don't know because my identity, like my identity was completely sewn to us. Like that's who I was is us. And so I didn't know anything. I didn't know what kind of food I liked. If I could go out on a Friday night, I didn't know what I wanted. I just said, Oh, we get pizza. Cause he usually gets home before me. And she was like, no, but what do you want? And I don't know, you know? So it was, it was a really painful process. And I think, um, I honestly, sometimes I look back and I, I don't honestly know how I came out like, cause so much of it is just survival. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes I look back and people will say like, Oh, what did you do during that time? And I don't know. I just kind of rode the wave of where I was 
And then like, I tried to do little things. Like I tried to go to the gym or just like do, because those are big things, Mm -hmm. like getting out and living your normal life, like going to the grocery store or whatever, like those are really heavier, everything. Well, and you experienced something I did not, you were experiencing the aftermath of betrayal and moving through divorce Correct. at the same time. I did not experience that. So I can't imagine the heaviness of that and the, the trying to work through both. And I think that you lump them together. Like you, it's like, you're going through one thing. And so you're trying to get through that one thing. Um, and you're kind of dealing with it as if it's one thing. So you're treating it the Mm. same. Um, when in reality it takes completely different coping mechanisms. And so you, you know, you have the divorce factor where like you imagined a whole life with this person. That's what you, you married them because you saw years and years and years and growing old and Mm -hmm. watching your kids grow up and having grandkids. Like you imagined that with this person. Um, and I mean, honestly, even probably talked about it. You guys Mm -hmm. had plans together. And so you're grieving that, um, because that's no longer a reality. Um, and so you have that portion, but then you also have the betrayal portion where you're trying to navigate, like, why did they do that? Was I not enough? Why, what did I do wrong? Because it's often a self-blame thing mm-hmm. where like, what could I have done differently? Like, should I have been, I, could I have had a better sex life? Should I have done this? Should I have whatever? I mean, literally everything I just, you, and so it's two completely separate things and you have to try to define what is like what trauma is coming from which portion of it mm-hmm. and then handle them separately. But it, it's honestly such a blur. You just kind of, you're, it's like almost crushing and you just kind of have to like force yourself to like, get out of bed, go to the grocery store, recognize that that's a win because mm-hmm. you did not want to do that. And then just kind of keep pushing forward, which it sounds so, I mean, if you have not experienced something, this heart stopping almost. Yeah you won't understand that, but I Marco, my Marco Polo yesterday from a friend was I went to the grocery store today. Yeah. And that was my win. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I get that. Well, and I think that we always want these like big, like grandiose things that mm-hmm. said like, I, I lost a hundred pounds after my divorce. Yes. Like, no, I, yes. That's, that's awesome. literally <laughs> it is. It's like, but you know, so before my parents took me to a psych ward and, and probably a portion I don't talk about very often, but like I had literally come to a conclusion that like, I could not live like that anymore. Like this was not assisted, like sustainable feeling. Mm -hmm. Like I, I felt like I couldn't breathe everything hurt. Like my trauma was so painful that like it was manifesting itself in like a physical pain. Mm -hmm. Like my body hurt. I felt sick to my stomach and I was like, I can't live like this. And I can't imagine a time that I don't feel this way. Mm -hmm. And it, life didn't feel sustainable. And so I con- I called my parents. I asked to talk to my son because I needed to talk to him. And then I, I just, I truly, honestly, looking back now, it, it seems, it seems selfish, but like in that moment that was like life, sustaining life was not a reality for me. Mm-hmm. Like I could not live like that. And so when you're talking about, you know, my parents got there before then, and I am grateful for that, but like when you're talking about that kind of pain where it's like, I don't even want to like be in this world. Yeah, I, I got there too. Like, I don't want to live here. Mm-hmm. I don't, I can't sustain this getting up and going to the grocery store because you need milk or bread. Like that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you give yourself credit for those survival instincts, like that is you choosing to survive and be hopeful that like maybe tomorrow is better than today. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's a huge choice. And so I, those are honestly, I think the things that got me at least through the worst of it is mm-hmm. just living and like choosing to live today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, even if it was small, because mm-hmm. I mean, in like the grand scheme of things, that's a lot when you're going through a lot. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So tell me when you got past that mode of yeah. I'm just living when did you start to find more healing and step into, I'm not just living, but maybe surviving and then maybe thriving. And yeah, I think, um, I think I went through like the, I'm literally just trying to like still stay on this planet (laughs) phase for like a good while. And I think a lot of the time, um, one of the most common questions that I get actually is like, 
how do you know that divorce is like Hmm. the answer, you know, or whatever. And sometimes people will say things like, um, I just feel like I could be so much happier with someone else Mm -hmm. or whatever. Honestly, you probably could be. Okay. Like, cause there, I don't, I don't believe that there's one person for everyone, you know? So you probably could be, however, um, you can't get divorced because potentially there's something better. Like you, if you're going through a divorce, you need to be okay saying like, I would rather be by myself for the rest of my life than live in what I'm in. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when I made that decision to be like, you know what, I need to be okay. Just being me, like not worrying about like, well, what if I never meet anybody? Mm -hmm. What if I'm, what if I'm just me and Jack's forever. Like, what if this never gets better? What if I never have companionship? But once I finally just said like, okay, I need to be with myself and figure out who I am, what I like, what's important to me. Then I feel like I actually started living a life that was very different than just surviving because Mm -hmm. I feel like it transformed me into this whole new, like I became a different person, like just that rediscovery of myself. And I think that sometimes when somebody's going through a divorce, people will often be like, Oh, you deserve so much better. Like you'll find someone so much better. And it's great. And I understand that it's like well-meaning, but Mm -hmm. I also think that it eliminates that phase of like rediscovery and Mm -hmm. like literally, which is the most beautiful. It breaks you open and you get to redefine literally you've been like burned to the ground and now you are literally trying to like rebuild. And I think that there, like, there's a lot of value there that gets skipped because we often, we don't talk about this middle phase. We we talk about like the trauma and then we talk about like the success afterwards, but the middle phase where you're literally rediscovering yourself, like Mm -hmm. that was really important time for me and for Jack's like my son to get to a point where it was like, okay what we could just be us mm-hmm. forever. And like, maybe it wouldn't be like, maybe it would feel lonely, but like, yeah, I'm okay. But you with could that. do it. I could do it. Um, and even now, like I'm remarried and even now I think about getting divorced and I think like that would be so miserable, but I also know I would be fine yeah. because I figured out who I was Yes, and I like solidified myself in me before I started dating again. Okay. So I have to ask you this. Cause yeah. I said this, uh, on an interview today on someone else's podcast, he said, when, when you were finding that healing, was it, what was it for you? For me, it was very similar, but it's, I got me for the first time. Yep. I thought I had me when I was married, but I didn't, it it took me falling on my face. Yes. (laughs) Crawling through the weeds and saying, Oh wait, I do actually love me more than I realized I had to figure that out. And I had to believe me and my knowing more than anyone else is around me. Yes because I wanted it. I wanted you to tell me, I wanted you to like everyone else yes. tell me what to do because this is so scary. Yep. But the truth was now I told my therapist today, like the best feeling right now is that I trust me. Yes. And I truly know. Cause like, am I going to get divorced again? Is my husband going to be unfaithful? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And that's honestly like people will say like, how did you move forward? And I'm like, I just accepted that I can't change literally anything, but like the way that I love my husband and the way that he loves me, like I will never regret that. So no matter what happens in like five to 10 years or 15 years, like I will never regret loving him this way or right. like him loving me this way. And I can't change that. Like, so we can like set things in place to be like, okay, let's, you know, these, these are what make me feel safe. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like I can check his phone or check his email until like, it doesn't change anything, you know? And so what it could change is the feeling inside of you feeling icky, right? Like, wow, I've turned into his mother. I've literally just, I have accepted that there is peace in the fact that I can't force it. Like I surrender, you surrendered. That was like, you know, I said a word for the year. That was my word for like three years in a row. Just like Mm -hmm. saying like, I can't alter the future. So we can set, but like, I, I am capable of having an affair. Literally everyone is capable of having an affair. If you put yourself in the wrong position with the Mm -hmm. wrong mindset over and over and over. And so I just, you know, you, we set these safety things up and it's fine. But at the end of the day, the only person that will 100% for the rest of my life have me is me. Yeah. That's it. Like I, I have my best interest in mind. I am supposed to be my number one fan. I'm supposed to be the person that is like cheering me on and like pushing me to be better. That's me. That's my job. And so that was a hundred percent. Like what that regrowth process was, is like learning that like, I can do this. Mm -hmm. Like, and I spent a lot of time doing things because like things would pop up that I'd be like, 
I don't know how to do that. Like, you know, it was like, I don't know how to change a tire. I don't know. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to just figure it out because I like, I am going to take care of me for the rest of my life, you know, and regardless of whether I have someone or not. And so I can't agree more. I mean, different experiences, but yes, I feel that very deeply. Um, okay. So you found healing. I know you went through, uh, you did specialized therapy from what I understand. Um, so you went through that whole process Mm -hmm. and got to a place where you felt like you could date. Yeah. Yes. I started Tinder when it was brand new. (laughs) Um, and it was like, I hadn't dated anybody since I was like 15. Yeah. You know, like I, and so now I'm 22 dating is like on Tinder. I have a kid. I, I, people my age aren't even dating, let alone getting married. Like it was very, um, it was, it was a weird time. And people will ask like, what is your best advice for someone that has a kid already? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I honestly like, because my original rule was like, I'm not going to introduce him to anybody until I know that this is like a real thing. Mm -hmm. That was like what I said. But then, you know, what happened is I would like, they knew I had a kid and we'd go out on dates. And then I would be like, Hey, I like, really like you. I think that this is something would you like to meet my son? And then they were like, no, like, because Mm -hmm. then it became very real for them. And, um, it's like this weird game of protecting your child from, (laughs) everything, the newness, you know, and like making sure you're not just like reintroducing people over and over, but also at the same time being like, like, this is my life. I don't want you to acclimate to this, like freedom that we have where we can go out on dates and whatever, and then come into it and realize that we actually don't have that kind of freedom. And so when I met my husband, it was, um, I was kind of over it. I was just like, kind of in this phase where I was like, I'm sick of going out on dates and liking people. And then when it becomes real, then it's not. And so he asked me out on a date on the 24th of July and to breakfast. And I said, that's fine, but I'm bringing my two-year-old because <laughs> I was like, so done. <laughs> and you're like, that's what you get <laughs> literally. And I, that was the first time I had ever done that. I fully expected him to say, no, he said, yes, we went to breakfast. You know, my two-year-old did two-year-old things. He didn't eat his food. He was trying to eat like the jelly packets. Like it was like, but that was it. Like that was, that my was life, real life, you know? And I didn't even, I felt actually so much comfort in the fact that he was watching. This is my life. Yeah. Like, and he could see it for what it was and be like, do I want this or <laughs> yes. not? Because reality. yes, like this is real for me. This is my reality. And it's not the same as most people my age, but this, that's what it is. And, um, like, if you ask him, he says that he told his friends, like, oh, I don't want to be rude and ditch a single mom. So I'm just going to go. <laughs> <laughs> and like, we'll never talk again, but then I, that's it. Like, that was literally all like after that, I didn't date anybody else. He didn't date anybody else. We like, I, that was just kind of it. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I really did have this like comfort knowing that like, he knew what our life was kind of going to look like. Um, even though like, even since we've gotten married, there's been some like discomfort in the fact that like, right after we got married, when he's coming into our bedroom at night and he's like losing sleep and he's like, I can't do this. <laughs> and I'm like, I told you, I told you. And so, um, but I think, you know, it was dating was hard. It was really hard, especially when you have kids, because you really have to weigh everything. Mm-hmm. Like you're trying to keep their mental health and their well being in a good place as well as yours, you yeah. know? And like, I, um, I actually spoke at an event a little while ago and this lady said, you know, I have an older child that is really jealous. Like when I go out and I'm on Mm. dates and I remember my two-year-old kind of being that way, like he needed to be with me and he Mm. hated when I would leave. Um, and the advice that was given was it's okay for your kids to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Your kids don't need to be comfortable all the time. Um, because there is a portion of you that needs to take care of you. And so like when you go out on dates, if they're jealous, they're jealous. Mm -hmm. If they're whatever, like you can explain to them and give them time, like in the off time, you need to invest in them, but like you also have to invest in you. And there's a balance there that is kind of hard to find. It's interesting because I love the way that you did dating. Um, my way, I, I was just so boundaried and weird and, um, I had so many rules for myself to protect myself and my kids that, I mean, it's worked out how it has, and it's been great, but I wasn't going on dates 
when I had my kids, I wasn't even going out with friends when I had my kids. I only started doing that like four months ago. Yeah. Which is kind of ridiculous because I was like, I don't want them to feel like I'm but there's I, like, that fear. they're losing me or I'm picking him over That's them. So normal. And they're like, mom, go live your life. I'm like, yes. Oh, okay. Thanks guys. <laughs> that is what is wrong that, with me. It's because you're, I mean, you look at the pain that you went through and you're literally just trying to protect them mm-hmm. from any further pain because my two-year-old would go around the house, like being like, dad, dad, like, mm. cause he did not understand. Yeah. So he had this abandonment issue that I was literally trying to protect him from anyways. Like I didn't want him to think that I was abandoning him, For but sure. also I needed to go to the gym. <laughs> I needed a second because now I was a full-time parent yeah. because at first I had him all the time. So, and like, that's also a hard thing to balance because it's like, you want to show up for them you know, but at the same time, you're, you're also and, suffering. Yes. And so when I had him a hundred percent of the time, I felt like I couldn't actually just like have a meltdown because I was trying to be okay for him. And I was trying to, and so there comes a point where you, it's like, she said, like your kids are going to have to experience that discomfort mm-hmm. and you cannot fix it for them every single time. And at some point there is like you too, mm-hmm. you know, like you need to be able to go out and date. You need to be able to go out with your friends. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to have time by yourself. And that guilt needs to be like pushed aside a little bit. I mean, obviously you're going to have to like, in the meantime, you're going to have to like make sure you're investing time in them so that there's that offset um, and they don't feel that way. But I do think that you have to be able to allow them to be uncomfortable for you to be able to eventually grow. And Mm -hmm. I mean, even just for yourself, you know? Okay. So you guys get married. Yes. And it was perfect and everything's been yeah. great. Super great. <laughs> <At> the end. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all. No, um, it's been, you know, I think I've gotten some messages over the years of people that are like, I just wish that like you have this like fairy tale life. And I'm like, no, <laughs> because it's such a, I want to, <laughs> it is. it comes with like the worst growing pains of all time. (laughs) Like blending families has some crazy growing pains. And there are certain things that I just like didn't anticipate because my son was so young. Mm -hmm. Like, to be honest, all of my son's memories are this. Mm -hmm. He doesn't remember anything from our marriage with his dad. He does not remember. Um, however, so I kind of dismissed a lot of things. Like I, um, but as we've gotten married, those things have kind of surfaced into like, these are problems, you know? So he does have abandonment issues that where he, like every time my husband and I fight, he'll be like, are you getting divorced? Mm. And it's like, no (laughs) people fight and that's okay. You know? But, um, honestly, I think that the hardest part has been integration for my husband and my son. Mm. And it, for a lot of reasons, because my son's father is still in the picture. Mm -hmm. So my husband is having a hard time figuring out like what his role really is. Like, um, you know, what kind of say do I really have, which in my opinion, and literally everybody has to figure this out, but, um, over the years we've done like multiple polls or we have tried to kind of like survey people about what the biggest pain point is in blended families. And a lot of the time it's discipline. Um, because people don't know what mm-hmm. their role is as a step parent when it comes to disciplining other children. Um, however, if you, I've found it interesting because if you survey those same people and you ask those people, do you expect them to show up the same level financially as they do for your other, your biological children? Yes. Do you expect them to show up the same level as supportive emotionally? Yes. Mentally. Yes. Um, you, they want all you the know, things. They want all the things, but you are not allowed to discipline them, hmm. which that's kind interesting. Of, it brings in a really unhealthy level of because it changes the dynamic completely. Mm-hmm. You know, they are almost like the we're the good guy all the time because we're only giving correct. And it makes them a little bit bitter because they're like, I have opinions about yeah. how to raise kids. Yeah. And like I came into this fully expecting to be a dad and you're not allowing me mm. all of the benefits of being a parent you know? And so, um, but to be honest, that was our biggest hiccup in the beginning is because it was just me and him. It was just me and my son. And I was very defensive of him. And so like when he came in and was trying to be like, no, this is 
really not a good thing for a two-year-old to do. I was like, he's fine (laughs) because number one, I had been parenting a certain way, albeit it was very lenient because I was trying to Mm -hmm. make him happy. Like we had been through a lot. Um, I didn't discipline a lot. So like having someone come in and like have a different opinion was really difficult for me. And it took years, honestly, years, even after we had our first son together, it was, um, I was way harder on my first son with him Mm -hmm. And we were overcompensating. So (laughs) like, it was almost like we had favorite children, which we didn't, but the way that we treated them or the way that we acted, it was very, like, it was very apparent that like my oldest was mine and our firstborn was his, Mm. like it was, um, and it actually is a very common issue just within blended families. Um, but I think that that was our, like that was, and has been our largest pain point is trying to figure out how to get them to view each other. We don't use this phrase step in our house. Mm-hmm. Like that's just not something that we do. We rec- he doesn't call him dad, but we also don't say this is your stepdad. Mm-hmm. Like he, he calls him Bedford. That's his name. Um, and cause that's, what's comfortable for him and we'll mm-hmm. never force anything else. But I think that, um, allowing like they need to see each other as like, my husband needs to say, I am his father and I need to provide for him in every way that a father would. Mm -hmm. And then my son needs to say like, I am his son and he loves me and I need to act accordingly. I need to be respectful. I need to, you know, have these types of behaviors that I would have with my father. Mm -hmm. Um, and so integration I think has easily been like the biggest pain point for us is just figuring out how to have that like level of gratitude and respect for each other because it it honestly comes naturally with your biological children. Like Mm -hmm. you are their mother or their father, they are your children. And so, um, you have to work for something that is anything but that. Yeah. Okay. So tell me, you give a lot of these, um, helpful tips on your social media, which I love because I didn't even know I was going to be a part of this connection that we have. Right. Um, I knew we had the betrayal connection, but I didn't know I was getting divorced. Yeah. No one, and usually people don't know. Oh, we shouldn't. We should not know. <laughs> it should not be the <laughs> ultimate plan. Um, what, what would be like, okay, here's, here's my advice. You're, you're, you're getting divorced. Now what to give someone the hope that you didn't have. Uh, we talked about yeah. this a little bit before of saying, I wish you wish you had you. Yes. And I wish I had me. Yes. When we didn't, you know, like yep. future us is like, can I go back and save old me? Yes. Because I was struggling. Well, and I I mean, when I got divorced, I was so lonely. I didn't know anybody really that had been divorced. I didn't, I definitely didn't know anybody whose spouse had had an affair. Um, and I was almost embarrassed. Like I literally felt like I was the only person on earth whose spouse had cheated on them. And I was like, what did I do wrong? Like, I don't understand. Um, and so I think that, um, that like loneliness and that's why I created the space that I did is because I wanted people to be able to talk about it. No one Mm -hmm. talked about it. It was a very taboo topic and, and, and you're not alone in it. (laughs) Literally not. (laughs) It's kind of everywhere. It was well. And I, after I got divorced, I started realizing more and more that like, like I went out, I went out, I went country dancing one night and this guy like asked me to dance and I was talking to him and I was like, so hesitant. Like he was like asking me about me. And I was so hesitant to be like, Oh, I have a son. And then I did. And he was like, Oh, I have two daughters. And he's like, I'm divorced. And I was like, Oh, yep. Me too. And it was like, it all of a sudden it, I started realizing that it was more common, but mm-hmm. it still wasn't talked about. Like people weren't opening up and saying like, this happened to mm-hmm. me. Um, And I'm going to be honest, like for a long time, I felt like I was protecting my ex-husband by not talking about it. Like I didn't want to feel like I was like put throwing him under the bus or whatever. And there are still certain things that I don't share. However, um, that, I think that that's some of the reason that it's not talked about is because people are trying to like, but at the end of the day, that is like, that was a decision that was made. And those were choices that Mm -hmm. were made. And there are people that are on my end that are suffering that need to know that like, they're not by themselves. And so Um, but I mean, honestly, advice wise, I think that the best thing to do first is to like surrender to the fact that this is painful. Like, I think that the harder, like you are going to feel this pain 
now in six months from now in a year from now, it doesn't matter what you do. You can try to mask it and you can try to be like, you know what? I don't even care. I'm going to like eat, pray, love, and like move to wherever. And I'm just going to pretend the, this. The advice of friends that it would like, just find someone else. Yes, you know, like literally. Yes. No, actually don't. Don't. <laughs> I don't do think that. that works. That is not a good idea. Um, because you are in no place to, to be with no. anyone. Um, and to be honest, I'm going to rewind. I wanted so bad to be wanted by someone after I got divorced. I you're rejected. Yes. I felt very rejected. I felt so embarrassed. And so intimacy was like, that is how I felt like someone showed you that they cared about you. And I went through a phase where I was very used and abused by everybody that I dated Mm -hmm. because I thought that meant something. I thought like, oh, this is them telling me that they care about me or whatever. And it wasn't, it wasn't. And so Mm -hmm. that's why I am very against like running out and jumping into something because you are not in a place to stop people from taking something from you that they want for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. It's not love. It's, they don't, that's, this is not them showing that they love you, but you are in such a rejected place that you will literally take any affection Mm -hmm. that you can get. And so it's really, you know, that's like the last thing that I would recommend. But I think that the avoidance of the pain is a very, I love that. It's that's a very common thing. You want to just run away from it and pretend like, you know, like the grief five, whatever, how many steps of grief are there? Five. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, but you want to skip the pain part. So you're like, I'm just gonna be mad about it. I'm just gonna whatever, but the pain part is going to come at some point. And so for me to just be able to like sit in it, that's what I tell people is like, you just kind of have to ride the wave of how you feel. Mm -hmm. And like, obviously one of the best analogies I had ever heard, um, when I was in therapy is that she described the brain as like a room or like a mansion and the mansion is full of rooms and every room is like a different experience or a different feeling or whatever. And you kind of have to train yourself to get to a point where you can be in a room and not be stuck in that room. So it's like, Mm. you can enter this room and then you're not like paralyzed, stuck in there. So she was like, sometimes you have to like just like hurry and run past that door. Like you just run down the hallway and like, that's enough for you to like, that's what I can feel right Mm -hmm. now. That's what I am capable of taking in. And now I'm going back to avoiding, but then like the next time you have to like stand outside the door for a little bit and be like, okay, I, this is as much as I can handle. And then the next time you like open the door and the next time you step in and then the next time you go in and sit down and like you sit in it and you're teaching yourself to control what you can and can't handle. Yeah. And so I think that that's kind of what I did is I just allowed myself a controlled amount of pain Mm -hmm. on a regular basis so that I could process what I was going through. And it, I think that that is honestly what was most healing. But I think after that, you just kind of, again, it's a surrender process ever, ever, like forever after is just surrendering to like life and understanding that like, you'll never be able to control what it looks like and Mm -hmm. you can make a million plans and it is going to, it could totally, and probably will look very different Mm -hmm. than what you planned for yourself and just being okay with that and saying like my experiences on a daily basis or like, again, like I won't regret loving someone like this. So I'm just going to go for it because I love them. And well, and I do think, well, I'm finding I'm in a relationship and there's incredible healing. Yes on your own, but in a new relationship. And I think oftentimes too, people think that they need to be completely healed before they can be in a relationship. We're never there. (laughs) Never. Uh, literally ever. I think that like, you know, triggers and like things that kind of like set you off. People are like, well, I don't want to be baggage for someone else. I don't want to be a burden. I need to be completely healed and like forever. Okay. Because I don't want them to feel like they're trying to fix me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so a lot of people will put that off, but I think once you're in a good space with yourself, like those will forever be a part of who Mm -hmm. you are. I still have moments where like something will happen that literally is like, it's like PTSD. Like it like shuts me down. I like can't breathe. And my husband now has to deal with that. Mm-hmm. But like, and I've done all the work I've like gone to therapy. I've done everything. And mm-hmm. it still is a part of me. And, um, so I think that like understanding that, like that will always be there and then finding someone that yes. is patient with you. That's and the, that's the key, right? Like they know that there's this like part okay. of you. I hesitate to say broken because it's not, that's not the word I want to use, but there's a part of you that is still forever going to heal and have these experiences. And they're willing to be patient and support you in that is like the best thing 
And so one thing, um, the guy I'm dating, he said that I really loved is that he said this, like he's accepting that this is how my brain works sometimes and how I see the world is a little bit different than an average girl. Um, I also honor that the way I see the world is also now in protection, right? Like I love what we have and I want to protect it. And I didn't do that in my marriage before. Correct. So I'm going to ask things that maybe the average girl won't ask him to do. Right. But it's in protection so that things don't happen. Right. But he has said, it's not fair that your brain is this way. Yeah. This happened to you. And this is the way your brain is. Correct but he holds space for me. And that's a hundred percent. He has to be. Yes. And so it's finding someone who he's got his own baggage. I've got right. mine. They're and different. Does. And the, yes. we can hold space and honor each other. Well, and I think that, that there are respectful things, you know, like when my husband was going to school, there was a time that he had a group project and it was him and another guy and another girl. And they were supposed to get together one day at this girl's house. And the other guy got sick. And he just messaged her and said, Hey, you know what? I don't think it's appropriate that you and I get together because I'm married. So Mm -hmm. can we do this over email? Can we do this over FaceTime? Can we find another route? And he was like, honestly, I would never have thought about that unless I had you where I know that this is an uncomfortable thing for you, or he's been in commercials or modeled or whatever, um, for like fitness stuff. And there's women there. And he has said like, I can't participate in this specific like part, or Mm -hmm. I can't because he's respecting me and like my past and not that, or like my feelings Mm -hmm. where somebody else might not care, you know? And I think it's just knowing each other and understanding like, but then I will say that it's like, I have a responsibility to not hold him accountable for my past too. So it's like, there's a line where you, you come up with what makes sense Mm -hmm. and keeps you safe and makes you feel safe. But then there's also a responsibility that you have to say he's not him or she's not her for sure. And don't treat them like they are. Yeah. So like checking the phone, checking the email, the incessant, like, where are you? When are you coming home? Those types of things are going to damage your relationship Mm -hmm. because they didn't do this to you. And so there, you have to find a balance in there of like respect and holding space, but then also you bridling like your fears and your anxieties so that they don't have to carry them. I love that. Not living in the shadows. Right. So there is hope. And, and I know that you aren't triggered on a daily basis. Um, but I think part of the surrender of finding new love and a new relationship is knowing that it is always going to be a part of your story hundred percent. and to have someone who can honor that and be okay with it yes. and sign up for it. Yes. I remind him of that sometimes you, signed like, up for this. you knew, okay. <laughs> I am trying, but you knew. And I mean, over the years it's gotten less and less frequent, you know, yeah. like obviously when we first got, we were dating and then we got married, it happened more often and more often. Um, and then over time, as like, I have learned even just trust of like, he wouldn't do that or whatever. It's like those triggers and those panic attacks or whatever. Um, like night terrors, like literally all the things they have just gotten less and less and less. Um, because I think you learn that there's this expectation that you can expect this level of safety. And I like, it's been a huge blessing. Like, I don't think it'll ever go away, but I do think that over time it, like the intensity has gone down and frequency. Yeah. So I love hearing that because I forget, you know, when you're in it, in the beginnings, whether it's divorce or betrayal or both, it feels like you said, so heavy, like I'm never not going to feel this way. So I don't want, I'm not looking forward to a future with anyone. Yes. And so to know that, okay, it might be part of you, but it's not going to be this heaviness. Um, for me, I feel like it was like a grenade would go off if I felt triggered in my, in the beginnings of betrayal or the beginnings of divorce. It was like, I'm out, I'm done. And it took me days to work my way out of that as I learned new skills and how to soothe myself. And now it's like, okay, it's a pinprick. It's definitely still hurting, but it is not a grenade. No. And I have the skill set to work my way through it. And I think that every individual person is going to kind of figure that out. It's honestly a trial and error process of like, how do I 
come out of this pit and like climb out, yeah. you know, because the, you can't forever rely on a person to mm-hmm. pull you out of it. So it's like, okay, how do I climb myself out of here? Um, and it's different sometimes and, in yes. different, like some days I need you to go on a drive with music and sing. Yes. other days I need to take a I, bath and cry. Like yes. it is so different, but at the, so having whatever it is, I have yeah. lots of different ideas. I these are use. the, yes, these are the things that I do to soothe myself. And again, it's a trial and error. Like you'll be like, I'm going to try this. And then it doesn't do anything for you. And you're like, Hey, you know what? Never mind. that is not working. <laughs> exactly. Like kind of like when I was going out on these dates and I was thinking like, Oh, I just need companionship. And then it turned out to be a nightmare and that like, it wasn't what I needed. Yeah. And you, you figure that out as you go. But I think or there are certain things that I've learned not to be like, Hey Bedford, can we talk about this? Because I just need someone to talk to. It ends up worse because Mm -hmm. it's, he's just not the person to talk to about that thing. And that's okay. Like, um, and you just figure that out as time goes on, you learn like what is soothing, what makes things worse, what is agitating, what is, and then it makes it easier to like quickly jump to that thing. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, now I know what is soothing. You're you're not going through as many things trying to figure it out. You just kind of know what it is. Um, and so, I mean, it, it's so much better. And honestly, like I would experience that like same level of pain once a week if I really had to, so that I could be where I am now. It's, I, I would do it again and again and again and again, because it was worth it. And like, I wish, I don't know. I, sometimes I think that sometimes I think I wish I could have known like what was coming, but then sometimes I don't because who I am now. And like, I look at myself so much now and I think the person I was 10 years ago would never have been able to go handle this. Yeah. Like some of the things that we go through and some of the stresses that we experience, I look at myself and I'm like the mental fortitude that I have now and the emotional strength I have, I would never have had if I didn't have to go through, like if I hadn't gone through this and had to figure it out. And so, and again, like I've told my husband, I'm like, I love you and I want to be with you, but I do not need you. Yeah. Like that's I what I say dating. I don't need you. Yes. I I am okay to you. I would be broken. I would be Mm -hmm. so devastated, but also I'd figure it out. Yeah. And I learned that because of this. And so I, I mean, I, I wish I knew because then I, it would be so much easier, but it was also like the best refiners, worst refiners fire (laughs) I've ever, I've ever been through. Yeah. So I love it. Okay. Tell us your most recent be the Buffalo moment. Um, so, I mean, so we've been together for eight years and I think that we have been like trying to improve and trying to improve and trying to improve my husband and Jax's relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, like we've seen like small mm-hmm. improvements here and there. Cause here's the thing. It's not awful. Like it's sometimes things are good. Cause they're not bad. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like not because they're really good. And that's kind of where they're at is it's like, they're fine. Cause it's not terrible. Like they are not disrespectful to each other. They're not, they don't yell at each other. They're not unkind, but like, they also are fine without each other. Yeah. And, um, so most recently we've been going through a really rough patch because my son's getting older and, um, I, we had a conversation maybe two or three weeks ago where it was like, it was like a make or break moment where it was like, okay, listen, this isn't sustainable like this relationship that you have with him, like I brought him into this relationship and I can't hold him here. And like, when he turns 18, this isn't something that just goes away. Mm -hmm. Like your relationship is a forever thing now. So like when he gets married and has kids, like, are those kids going to want to come here? Or like your relationship, you need to work on it now. And it like, because of my experience, I guess, because of my history, sometimes when we get in really heated arguments, I'm like, I'm getting, I, I, this is going to end in divorce. Like mm-hmm. I panic because I'm like, it feels mm-hmm. so triggering and heavy and we don't fight like that very often, but it was like that. And I felt like I had that feeling where I was like, this is never going to work. Like they're never going to agree. They're never going to like fix it. They're never, I, and like, this is never going to work. And I got in my car and I drove and I sat in a parking lot at like midnight. And I was like, I, I think, I, I think we're done because I can't, this isn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. And like he need, they need to love each other. Or I feel like I'm just holding him here, you know, and I'm his mom. And, but finally, like, I was like, no, like, this is, this is going to work. And I feel like it was a moment where I literally could have turned and like ran away and been like, Hey, I can't do this. This is, this is too much. We've been trying for nine years. It's literally not working. Um, but instead it was like, I like 
got out a napkin in the car and I started writing down like things that are missing in their relationship that could be better. And maybe what like the fix was for those things. And I decided like, no, like this is worth it to me and I'm going to stick it out and it's going to be really hard. And it's not, it doesn't look great right now, but like it'll pass. And it just takes me like putting my head down and figuring out like, okay, how do I fix this? And then like implementing solutions for those things. And we did like the next day I went to the store, I got a notebook and I said, you guys are going to write down something every day that you're grateful for that the other person did, or just like another quality that that person has that you love or like a way that they like benefited you. Like that's what we're doing because you guys need to see that. And it has been literally the biggest game changer. And so sometimes when things feel really hard, especially when you've gone through something that is just like soul crushing, um, like the idea of just like putting your head down and being like, okay, this is, this is going to suck. And then just like allowing it to hit you Mm -hmm. feels really unsustainable. Like it feels so much easier to be like, nope. And like (laughs) run the other way because you don't want to feel anything remotely Mm -hmm. close to that ever again. But I think that anytime that you can just like put your head down and be like, no, we're going to get through this. I don't know how this is going to suck so bad, but we're just going to do it is such a huge win. And that like has been a huge one for us. So Yay. And it's paying off. I love it. It is. And I like, honestly, I, I don't know. I thought for a long time that like, if him and I could be on the same page, then everything would just kind of go better. Cause you hear that like mom and dad are good. Then everybody's good. But like, this is like a completely different scenario. They, I can like tell him, we can talk about it all day, every day, but until they like love each other Mm -hmm. and like appreciate each other and are grateful for each other, then it doesn't really matter what I say. So like this little bit of a different scenario where like their relationship needs to come before me and Bedford, like not our relationship, but just like our feelings about it. Like Mm -hmm. they need to actually put in the work. And so I've spent a lot of time trying to like moderate and mediate and be like, Oh no, they didn't mean that. Or like, Oh, this is not what they were saying. And I just, I'm out of it now. Like it's their job to create this relationship of gratitude and respect and love. And they've got to figure out how to do that. So another surrender. Yes. I literally had to let go. (laughs) That's the theme of my life. Yes. (laughs) You're given all these moments to surrender. It's great. All the time. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. You're great. And where can people follow you, find you? So my Instagram account is life with the doors. So it's life with the, and then it's D O R T as in tango S. Okay. So, yep. And that's honestly where most of everything goes. So that's all that's relevant. So go find her. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having a, having the time to do this. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here with me today, whether I was with you doing your dishes while you got ready or driving in your car. If you found a nugget in this episode, please take 30 seconds. You can click on the link below in the show notes and leave me a quick review over on iTunes, or you can share on social media or shoot me an email. It offers me your support without you having to spend a dime or much of your time. Until next time, be the buffalo.